0: in your Bibles. We will be looking at Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. <coughs> we'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life, I just pray, O Lord, that you reveal yourself through this text, that you give us a greater understanding concerning you and the work that you have done. I pray, O oh Lord, that you protect my mouth, that I represent you properly, and that these words given to the Apostle Paul many years ago enlighten us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Galatians 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, both privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. to the circumcised work also through me, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You may be seated. So, we come again to the, the second chapter of Galatians. Uh, we're going over more of the verses that we did last time because uh, there were points that I did not get to the last time, and I think important points. But to understand this letter and to understand clearly, we have to understand the issue. And remember, the issue was the formal point, which is the validity of the Scriptures. The truths of the Scriptures. And then the material point. How are we saved? What do we do with the Scriptures? How do we live our lives? I mean, that was the issue. And the Judaizers were accusing Paul of not being an apostle equal with the other apostles. So they were challenging the first point, the formal point, the validity of his gospel message. It's very important when we look at the context of what we read in these verses that that is the issue. That is the main issue, the argument. Was Paul an apostle on the same par with the other apostles, then how do you live with that? How do you accept his truths? And these issues cause great schism in the church. They always will and they always have. The truths of Scripture will always be attacked. The Reformation, it was the truths of Scripture that were attacked. The Reformation brought it back to that major point, that formal point, that it is the validity of the Scriptures that we must follow. You know, and this, just because they they meet and things seem to go away, it doesn't mean that they go away. It always seems to come back, doesn't it? Issues always seem to come back. You know, later on in Acts 2, which we'll cover next week, or next time, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came and drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Here Peter knew the truth that You could eat with the Gentiles. But when a certain group, the circumcised group, the ones who felt you had to stay with the law, it wasn't just Jesus is enough, he was influenced. He started not eating with the Gentiles. And even Paul's companion, Barnabas, was led astray by the hypocrisy. He knew the truths of the Scriptures, but they were living contrary to it, for the fear of men. And that's what it usually is, the fear of men. What will men think? So these issues are always part of the church, and that's why Paul uses harsh language. He used harsh language against Peter. And he uses harsh language throughout chapter 2. And that is because core doctrine is at stake. The doctrine of salvation through grace by Jesus Christ alone. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I went up because of revelation and set them before them, though private before those who seemed influential. Influential. And then in verse 6, And for those who seem to be influential, and later on in verse 6, I say, who seemed influential and added nothing to me. You see a pattern there? Paul is saying, these people who seem to be influential. Now we can look at that, that he's criticizing the church leaders, and actually. In verse 9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, so he was talking about church leaders, some of the other apostles. But we have to look at this in the context of what Paul's issues are. It's the uh, issues with the Judaizers. With those who are claiming that Paul is not an apostle, that he does not have the authority as an apostle, that his gospel message isn't on par, it isn't equal, it isn't enough. So when he says these people, they, they seem to be influential, they seem to be the leaders. He's really not criticizing the leaders. And John Calvin, I think, explains it the best when he says, they're talking about a timeline here. Here, these apostles were walking with Jesus while Paul was persecuting the church, imprisoning Christians. So, yeah, there were leaders for a long time before Paul came around. So, it's understandable that people would think that Paul learned from these leaders, that Paul was influenced by the other apostles. But we looked, when we looked at the first chapter, Paul did everything he could to avoid them. And I think that was by divine leading. So that couldn't be said that he was the succession of these apostles. Paul was taught by Jesus Christ just like these other apostles. So it's a timeline. He's saying that, you know, you're looking at these people like they are, more influential Than I am. Because they've been doing it longer. But we know that that is not what Paul thought. Because he said he learned nothing from them. He was taught nothing from them. They added nothing to me. But again, this wasn't an ego trip on Paul's part. Remember, he said he was the least of the apostles, that he was the chief of sinners. What he meant by that is he was a persecutor of the church. He wasn't some fisherman like Peter and some of his brothers. When God called him, he was persecuting the saints. It was a status before he was an apostle. He was the least to be called. But he was called and he would defend, he would defend that he was an apostle on par with the others, and that his message was the same message that the other apostles have. It says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. makes it clear. He's saying that they weren't influential over him. He was on par with them. God shows no partiality. You know, and that's a big statement there. God shows no partiality. And I mentioned last time, when we're loved by God, whether we're a saint that has been saved for five minutes or have been a saint that dedicated our life to Christ our whole life, his love is the same. It's a perfect love from the moment you're saved. We can't add our works to bring more love from God because his love is already perfect. God shows no partiality. He loves all equally. Yeah, we have different tasks to do, different callings. doesn't mean we're any less loved by God. When we're standing right with God, His love is perfect. So Paul, when he goes to... We get into chapter 2, remember in chapter 1 he was fleeing and staying away from the other apostles, but now it was not about face. He went to Jerusalem after 14 years, taking Titus with him, and he said because it was a revelation, God was directing him there. He wanted to go to the other apostles. Now, he needed the affirmation from them. He needed to make sure that the gospel he was preaching was the same as theirs. It says, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul did not want, want to make a mistake. He knew he was being taught by Jesus. The risen Christ. And he knew if he'd go with the other apostles and compare the gospel message, it should be identical. He wanted that affirmation. He wanted that assurance. Because remember, Paul was a zealous man, a prized student of these Jews. And when he was pleasing man, he was good at what he did, he was a good persecutor of the Jews. The church feared him. The saints feared him. Paul knew he ran in the wrong direction. He didn't want to make the same mistake. He didn't want to run in vain. Notice what Jesus said when Paul was persecuting the church and the believers. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? So anytime we're persecuted, slandered, Christ takes it personal because Christ lives within us. So Paul went down. He went down to the other apostles. But again, it wasn't because he wanted to be taught by them. He wanted to make sure that the gospel he was entrusted with was on par with theirs the same. it says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars Perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. You're equal to us, Paul. Your gospel is the same. Same gospel, different calling. You're called to the Gentiles, we're called to the circumcised. Paul got his affirmation. The Judaizers who were speaking against them were rebuked. Paul's message is the pure gospel. Now did they let this go? Those who were circumcised? They were told the truth by the church leaders. Maybe partially, maybe some did, but they came up again later in verse or in chapter two when Paul criticizes Peter. That I read earlier, the uncircumcised or the circumcised group came down, and now they added more. That well, you can't eat with Gentiles either. They wanted to grab more of the law, more of the law. Why was circumcision such a big issue? Well, we have to go and put ourselves in that timeline. It was a tradition. Yeah, it was a tradition. But it was also a command by God. Remember, he gave that to Abraham. And his seed, it was a sign, a sign, a cutting seed that God had cut off the Jewish people for himself. Not that they were special; it's because God chose them. And for the Jews that were circumcised, it was a reminder that if they did not obey God's law, they would be cut off from his family, from being accepted as his children. And that was for 2,000 years. A 2,000-year-old tradition, but also a 2,000-year-old command from God. So to have Paul and the apostles just come, no, that's done. It was a hard pill for these people to swallow. A very hard pill. But it was a godly truth. Circumcision ended. Christ wanted the circumcision of the heart, the cutting of the heart to him. And the sign was baptism that you're part of God's covenant family. It ended with Christ, the fulfillment of all these Old Testament things, which everything pointed to Christ and his finished work, his sacrificial work on the cross. But traditions die hard. They die hard in churches. They die hard in families. They die hard in life. Paul could see why circumcision was hard. But notice the, there were parts to spy out Paul to see if he was playing the hypocrite as well. To see if Titus was circumcised. Paul said, no, I never gave in Never circumcise him, would not circumcise him. It says, you know, in verse 7, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that, so that they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now they're watching Paul. Why? Well, remember Paul in the past, in Acts 16.3 it says, And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Hmm. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So is Paul playing a hypocrite? He circumcised Timothy, but he refuses to circumcise Titus. Why? Is he being hypocritical? There's two words we have to remember may and must. You have to remember those words. There's freedoms we have in Christ. There's things we may do. There's things we must do that are commanded by Christ. And we cannot say the maids become a must if it goes against God's law, for it's not taught in Scripture. You know, remember when uh, Paul was teaching on foods? Concerning idols. Concerning idols. Basically he said it didn't matter. We'll get into that a little bit later, a little more here. But you have to remember may and must. We have freedoms in Christ. There are things we may do. And there are things that we may do that others may not do the same thing. But that's the freedom that they have. We stand when we read God's Word. That's not a must issue, that's not a command. That may be a tradition, maybe a habit we have in this church. But if we go to another church and they sit when it's the reading of God's word, we do not have the standing to say everybody must stand. Because then we're playing the tyrant. We're adding to God's law. Saying because I believe this, everybody must do it. I want you to remember this, and Christy says when I tell stories, it makes you remember. So, as you know, I went to Catholic school, and some of the nuns weren't exactly my friends. Miss uh, Marie in first grade was very nice. Second grade, not so nice. Sister Pete Truck. But when we started in second grade, we all knew that Sister Truck ruled with the golden rule, which was one of them wood rulers three feet long. And it was always new-looking, because uh, let's just say she broke a lot of them measuring up our backsides or our hands. but we got in there in the first week somebody got up had to go to the bathroom and just started walking to the door and Sister Pete truck stopped them cold see in first grade we were taught if you have to go to the bathroom just quietly get up and go and come back and she was uh, staring over a desk you must come up and ask permission before you do anything and you cannot leave or go to the bathroom without permission. Okay, so. That was the rule, the must. About two weeks later, another student got up and started heading toward the door rather quickly, and Sister Petrick stopped her cold in her tracks. said, you get back to this desk and you ask permission. Well, it was the flu season, and... Uh, what should be staying down, wanted to come up, and that's why the girl was heading to the bathroom. But now when she came back to the desk, and Sister Petrick wanted her to open her mouth and ask permission, well, when she opened her mouth, what came up came up rather forcefully. (laughs) And uh, because she was leaning forward, it was uh, a direct hit, you might say. Now, we thought it was great being second graders. I mean, it was a great day to be in second grade that day. Because her room was close to the principal. Sister Judith came in, hearing the commotion. uh, She was telling us it wasn't funny, but she kept turning away, trying to control her own laughter, so we knew it was funny. But anyway... Sister Petruck left. Sister Judith came over and uh, when Sister Petruck came back, you might say she changed her habit or her tradition because uh, now we got a lecture that it wasn't must anymore if you had to go to the bathroom. It was May I go to the bathroom. But if you had a Be sick, just go. Or for other emergencies. But you know what happens in churches when we have people who take that me, the freedom that they have, and they turn it into a must. It can destroy churches. It can destroy saints. I want you to listen closely when I read this concerning food offered to idols. This is from 1 Corinthians. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are not worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols, and only so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What I want you to notice is what he's saying, these people who would not eat meat offered to idols, they were the weaker brothers. They weren't the stronger brothers, they were the weaker brothers. And the problem is, is when the church, when you have people who say, well, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't dance, you can't wear makeup. They think they're the stronger brother. Brother when in fact they are the weaker brother. They're saying, you must not do these things. You must be like us. But the teachings in the Scriptures say, you may do those things. You may restrict yourself from those things. It doesn't matter. But as soon as you say, Everybody must do the same thing I am doing or we are doing. The weaker brother has become the tyrant, the lawbreaker. They're not the stronger brother. And it destroys churches. And usually once they play the tyrant and they get something in that everybody must do this, even though there's no biblical mandate, they keep adding and adding and adding. And the people who flee the church the first are the mature saints, not the weaker brothers. And after the mature saints leave, a few families will usually meet together and because the mature saints left, then they start feeding on each other because they want to add more and more regulations, more and more rules, just like the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee was playing the tyrant. I do this, I do that, I give alms. I'm nothing like this tax collector. Tax collector sat there, beating his chest. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And Jesus said, the tax collector went away, forgiven, not the tyrant. You now we have to understand this must and this may. Our salvation is by the finished work of Jesus Christ and that alone. Nothing added. And this still is a problem. I remember they did an evangelistic uh, program through, I think it was Coral Ridge Ministry, D.J. Kennedy's church. They tried to evangelize and reach thousands and thousands of people, which they did, and they recorded what the questions they had. They had specific questions. And what shocked them, the question they asked to believers, church members, many who went to church their whole life, and they said, it was something like, well, when you get up to heaven, whether St. Peter or Christ is at the gate, and he says, why should I let you in? And so many of them answer, well, you know, I attended church, I tied to church, I was a good member, I tried to live my life good, you know, I believed in Jesus, plus I did all these things. I think it was between 60 and 70%. Wrong answer. The only correct answer is you humbly bow your head and you say, I'm a sinner and I don't belong here, I don't deserve to be here. The only reason I'm here is because the work of another, of Jesus Christ who covered my sins. I add nothing to it. It's solely by grace. But I think all of us know, have been in churches with weaker brothers who want to play the tyrant, that if I don't do it, you must not do it. If I don't go to movies, you can't. If I don't drink, you can't. They're the weaker brothers. Be like the Bereans, stick to God's word, and rely on the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul was saying you know, if you guys want to be circumcised, go for it, cut away. but you're not going to command Titus or anybody else to be circumcised. We'll dig in our heels and we'll say you're wrong. And they were dead wrong because they were saying if you weren't circumcised, you weren't the believer. We have to stand boldly for the truth and we have to let other believers, if they don't like something, be sensitive of it I mean, you don't take a Baptist to witness to them in a bar because they don't drink. But if they command you to be like them, you say, no, I have that freedom, that freedom in Christ. There's many traditions. Again, no drinking, no makeup. It can hamper very young believers as well. Usually it hacks off older believers. They try to guide people into a more mature faith. And I told you the story. When I first became a believer in the first class I took, the teacher came up and he said since he was saved, he never committed a sin. And I thought, boy, there's no hope for me. Yeah. But every week we read, you know, those who claim to be without sin are a liar. They're making God out to be a liar. So be careful. Tyrants come with many different clothes on. Titus wasn't circumcised. He wouldn't be. He became a leader in the church. But you know, James, John. They sent them out. No circumcision. He didn't have to be. They didn't add to the work of Christ. Again, that's what the Reformation was about. Remember Luther's line, the just shall live by faith. Faith alone, period. The church leaders did remind them to remember the poor, which Paul and his companions already did. Remember they took up collections from the Gentile churches to give to the Jewish churches in Judea because of the famine, because of the persecution. But this is a reminder to us as well. Jesus said the poor will always be with us. There's always a time to assist the truly needy. And this is a very important command to the church. I think we do a good job. I know we're limited in our finances because of our size. I know the deacons on the benevolence. They take each matter seriously, and they do what they can. It's a burden. I know other members step up and assist at times. But when you look historically what do you see in that it's St Jude's St Mary's St Agnes orphanages were Christian based for centuries care of the elders care of the lepers Christian societies stepped up and did it a great part of the church and it builds allegiance it builds allegiance between those doing the benevolence, seeing the results of their fellowship, working toward the poor. But also, it takes the allegiance of the poor, those who are being helped. It opens the door to the love of Christ through his fellow believers and draws them to Christianity. Now, I know it's more and more difficult when the government plays the tyrant which they usually do when they take more than 10 percent what God commands. It's harder and harder to meet needs, but still, we're better off than in California. I talked to my nephew yesterday, and there it's between 50 and 60 percent of his check is gone. But that's just Satan trying to stifle the church. You know, Julian the Apostate in the 4th century, he hated Christians. He hated them in Rome, wanted to get rid of them. And he understood this. He wrote about it. To destroy this Christian movement, we have to destroy their benevolence. Have the state take it over. We see how well that works. God says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Six days you should labor. The state says if you don't work, we'll give you money from those who do work. You don't have to do anything. But Satan uses them to build the allegiance to the state, to keep people from the allegiance of the church. And we have to counter that the best we can with our benevolence. man from God. It says those who don't work should work so they could what? Give to others. Give some apportion to others. And again, we have to give with wisdom. The legitimate poor. Not those who just say I'm not going to work. Take care of me. It's biblical. Those who don't work should work. Part of society, productive. Again, man twists so many things. And men are so gullible. I work with guys and their fellow worker, they thought he was the holiest, the most best Christian they knew. Because he ate oatmeal three times a day and he would spend, at that time, it was, it was 15 cents a meal. He kept his meals to under 50 cents a day. That's all he'd eat. And he thought he was the greatest saint for it. And I thought he was an idiot. I mean, <laughs> he was trying to please God. I mean, he had the freedom to do that. as long as he was working. But there were people in the past, The one guy, he started a group and they'd they'd live in caves and wouldn't leave the caves. So where's the command, six days you should labor? They threw productivity out and and they became a burden. Because people had to bring them food and take care of their waste. But then that wasn't good enough so they built platforms on poles They sat on poles to be closer to God so that it wouldn't be interfered with the world. Again, you can't throw away commands of God and do stupid things and burden other people to take care of you. says, so then, as we have opportunity to let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the faith, the household of faith. Again, benevolence is a big part. I think we do a good job at it. I know our denomination with uh, many of the outreach programs for the hurricanes and stuff. There's many faith-based uh Charity organizations that do a fantastic job, that stay there for years rebuilding. That's how we take back this nation by loving and caring for people that are down on their luck, are legitimately poor. But what it boils down to with all this, the may and the must. There are musts in Scripture that we should follow commands of God. And there's mays, there's these freedoms we have in Christ that we can have for ourselves, but we cannot inflict them or be a tyrant over others and say, because I'm doing it, you must do it. That's where we get the wisdom that God calls us to have. We take knowledge and turn it into godly wisdom because we filter it through the Word of God. The primary issue, the formal issue, the validity of Scriptures. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, teach us to follow the Scriptures according to what you would have us to do. And there are times we must put our feelings aside, put our strong beliefs aside, And say, this is something I may do, but I must not force it upon others. Teach us to know the difference, Lord. Teach us to show benevolence and love. In Jesus' name, amen.